Hello, my name is Ben Friedman here from Ben and Brand See a Movie presents the Wild Wild West where we talk all things Wes Anderson and the films he makes and we are on our final film for this series, his most recent film, The French Dispatch. And with me, as always, has been my co-host for this entire segment, Jalal Ahmad. Happy to be here once again and for the almost final time, Ben. I know, Jalal, I'm really excited to have you on for a movie that I've actually been excited to talk about because I've had a lot of thoughts on it, and I did not do an in-depth review on this film when it came out last year. So I am really excited to talk The French Dispatch with you. And uh, this is kind of like the end of it because this is the last Wes Anderson film. Yeah, his 2021 film. He hasn't made anything this year. so (laughs) Yeah, and he does not have anything coming out this year as well. His next film will star Tom Hanks, though. So that is one to look forward to. But I think also the thing that I'm really excited about is we have the winner of the Wes Anderson bracket determined. And I mean that in the sense that we have who won it has been determined. You, you, yeah, the character is what you're clarifying, not the person from Reddit, right? Yes, we have yeah. the person who won it, the character. We also have the person who won the tournament oh, and is getting so the we prize. Got all the winners today. We have all the winners determined today. Wow. And you know what? We'll tease that for the end. We'll tease that. That way, the winner will be sure to stay tuned through, through the whole episode. Or fast forward 45 minutes they either way. They could do that too. But with that all said, Jalal, are you ready to just jump into it? Let's get it. Let's do it. And let's talk about the French Dispatch, or as it's more commonly known, the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun, which I'm sure is that's how we all refer Rolls to it. right off the tongue. Yep. I, I know when I'm talking to all my friends, I always say, no, no, it's not the French Dispatch. It's the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening <laughs> Sun. Some get respect, it, sir. Get it right, you son of a... Nutcracker. Yeah. Uh, This film is an anthology comedy drama. And it's really key to understand this is an anthology. This is kind of stories put in together that have this overarching story that they're all a part of this journalism team run by Ralph. I want to say his name is Ralph St. Clair, who is played by. Jesus, no, that's his character from uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. This character, played by Bill Murray, is Arthur Howitzer Jr., the editor of The French Dispatcher, based on Harold Ross, the co-founder of The New Yorker. This is supposed to be clearly a New Yorker reference of a newspaper. The There are four overarching uh, kind of newspaper, like journalist teams going on and telling their each own individual story. The first one is a singular one called The Cycling Reporter with Owen Wilson. The second one is called The Concrete Masterpiece, which is about an imprisoned artist uh, played by, and the cast for this one is Benicio Del Toro, uh, Tony Revolori, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leah Sidex, Bob Balabone, Henry Winkler, who was a great addition, and uh, Lois Smith. Then we have the revisions to a manifesto, which is a college student who leads a revolution. This one includes the cast of Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet? Yep. (laughs) Francis McDormand and Christopher Waltz. The next one is called The Private Dining Room of the Police Commissioner. This one features newcomer to Wes Anderson, who will also be appearing in his next film. Jeffrey Wright. We also have Liev Schreiber, Stephen Park, Willem Dafoe, Edward Norton, and Sarsi Ronan. And then finally, we kind of wrap this all up with the obituary, uh, which features Bill Murray as Arthur Howitzer Jr., Elizabeth Moss, Jason Schwartzman, and Wally Waltroski. Oh, and Angelica Houston, I should mention. But so this is the, that's the cast and that's the easiest way to break down the cast. Again, this is a film about journalism and it's basically the individual stories that make up a magazine (laughs) and their stories going on throughout. Uh, 
This film is directed, of course, by Wes Anderson. Comes out last year to strong reviews. I know there were definitely some more mixed reviews than, uh, of course, some other Wes Anderson films. Uh, It ends up getting about a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's praised by some, disliked by others. The New Yorker, I should mention this, they gave it the acclaim of the best film of the year. I wonder why the New Yorker of all magazines, where it's based on, gave it that high. Uh, But it also got some praise from others. IndieWire called it their sixth favorite film of the year. Uh, Vogue mentioned it. It was a film that certain people loved, and it was seen as a love letter to journalism. This is a film that had a budget of $25 million and grossed $47 million. Hard to exactly tell what those numbers mean, because we are now in a post-COVID world. So box office kind of doesn't reflect anything at this point, because it comes out in October 2021, which if you remember... Delta was kind of raging at that time. Uh, good old Delta. I mean, uh, this is where uh, the reign of HBO Max takes over. <laughs> yeah, so th- there's just those issues. It premieres at Cannes, uh, comes out in October 2022. Uh, oh, sorry, October 2022, 2021. Uh, and it, like I said, it just has all of that going against it. So I, I don't know what to make of the box office. I still don't know what to make of the box office. And it, uh, one last thing to note that I think is really important. It uh, receives the return of Alexandra Desplat doing the soundtrack, who has previously now worked with Wes Anderson on multiple of his past few films, including uh, Isles of Dogs and the Grand Budapest Hotel. So it's basically the all star cast of Wes Anderson coming to play for this movie that is an anthology comedy drama. And uh, one last thing to note that I think is very important to note, uh, and it's kind of an awkward one, and I don't really want to get in depth on it because it, you know the news just kind of broke a week ago, and we're still kind of determining what it is, and there hasn't been an official statement. But with the fact that he's one of the stars of this film, and he's been such a frequent collaborator of Wes Anderson, Bill Murray did get... Uh, was involved in a film that got their production halted due to inappropriate behavior. Uh, We don't know what that means yet. There hasn't been a lot of reporting on it Uh, based on the comments that have come out and the leaks. It seems that it could have been misconduct on set. This was on Aziz Ansari's new film uh, that he was directing. So they're dealing with all of that. So, Stories like this are going to be fluid, and possibly by the time you hear this episode, we're going to get another update on it. It just felt weird not addressing that off the top uh, when we're talking about Bill Murray, who, again, is the central point of this episode. So do realize when we are talking about Bill Murray, uh, we are talking about it in a context of I've heard the allegations or I've heard the issues on set, and now it's what's going to happen and what are the ramifications going to be, if any. And yeah, so just wanted to put that precursor out because I didn't want to ignore it. But yeah, so let's, moving on, let's talk about the French Dispatch. Shall we, Joel? We shall. What was your hill to die on on this film? You know, Ben, um, I remember us talking about this uh, previously on your other episodes and i remember you really really not liking this movie if i may spoil that for your audience yes that hopefully has been paying attention this whole time i honestly thought it was a perfectly serviceable movie i thought it was fun enough and uh i personally enjoy anthologies but you do lose something throughout um when there's not one uh big narrative strand that's being followed throughout so you do lose a lot of uh investment in character but um, overall, I really enjoyed it. That is totally fair. And I will go into my hill to die on because I agree with parts of what you said. I will agree. There are chunks of this film I really enjoy. It's the issue that the chunks don't make a whole. And I just couldn't get enough from this film to call it great. So, yes, while there's parts of it that I really appreciated. Overall, 
I had a more negative review of it. And I think it's just based on and not an ambition from him. I understood what he was trying to do, but it felt like, how do I say this? When I was watching this film, my biggest criticism was, I don't understand what point you're trying to say. And I feel like you're just, you have a bunch of mini ideas that each on their own could have been a, actually a pretty interesting movie, but they're too just brief throughout that. I never got, satisfied with really any that was my issue with the film yeah that's uh definitely an issue that just stems from it being an anthology um i do think that uh if you took any of those shorts and tried to flush them out into their own movie it wouldn't have worked i the stories themselves worked in my opinion a lot better as short uh short stories Maybe the reason I say that is because I thought there were two stories in particular. So there's four anthologies really in this film. It's the yeah, I didn't. I barely even counted Owen Wilson's one to be yeah, honest. It I, didn't even I, register in my head that I thought that was still introductory material. I counted, but so there's that one. There's of course uh, the uh, painter one. Then there's yeah. the revolution one. Then there's the police. Technically, you could count the obituary. I'm not really, but. I, for me, there's two that I enjoy and two that I found that fell pretty flat for me. And I think the biggest issue is they kind of went on level of enjoyment from beginning to end was how it was for me. The one I enjoyed the most was the one called The Concrete Masterpiece, which is the one uh, about the imprisoned painter. Yeah, yeah. And then I enjoyed The Cycling Reporter. And then I like had moments where I enjoyed the revisions to a manifesto. And then the private dining room of the police commissioner, I just kind of like didn't care about. So that was the issue where it was like, it started higher for me. And then like each one got progressively worse and more boring. I would agree with that. I thought the, um, if we are counting, um, you know, the cycling reporter as Mm -hmm. one of the uh, stories in the anthology, I definitely, I think that is the one that very much did not overstay its welcome. I think because it was so short, it was pretty effective. Yeah, and I thought it was a funny one. I thought it was just a short, simple, funny one that kind of got the point across of the movie and gave you the style. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just fun to see Owen Wilson. So that was the one where I'm watching it. I'm like, okay, I like that. It's based on you know an actual guy who would do that, where he would cycle around Europe and write about his adventures. I thought that had enough going on with it that I really enjoyed that one. And then, like I said, my favorite of the four is The Concrete Masterpiece. Mm -hmm. That's the one where I actually thought there was an interesting film to be told in there. And I actually would have liked to see those characters explored. So let's just kind of go from top to bottom with it. And I think we should just start with the fact of, let's just start where it all begins with the fact that this film follows the death of Arthur Howitzer Jr., who is the editor for The French Dispatch. And he then decides to, uh, not he then decides, but he dies. And thus, it is the final edition of the French Dispatch. So they're all trying to assemble what will be the final uh, magazine of the French Dispatch. This is all takes place in a fictional French town uh, of Enoui Sor Blasa. Ennui. Just call it Ennui. (laughs) Which literally means boredom which is kind of a funny play on word. Uh, And like I said, so that's where we all start. We see Wes Anderson's love of uh, France. He's a resident of France. And from my understanding, if you are uh, in one of the cities, it might be Paris, I believe is where he lives. You will just randomly see Wes Anderson walking around, like grabbing a croissant. Uh, Basically he's around if you go to Paris and you know the neighborhood. Ah uh, yes, Wes Anderson, one of the most identifiable faces in the world. Yes. <laughs> in fairness, if you know what Wes Anderson looks like, you'll never forget what he looks like. To be fair, I know what he looks like and I forgot what he looks really? like. Really? <laughs> I feel like the hair itself is enough where I'd be like, that's Wes. And I think the style, I'm like, whoa, what's fantastic, Mr. Fox, but like six feet and forty-five year olds uh doing in France. Because, I mean, he does have that same style. So I feel like I'd recognize him. But 
Uh, Let's bring you to France. Let's put this up to the test. Yeah, Let's see yeah. if your audience will agree with you. So, so I'm going to France. That's a pretty sweet deal for this. Yeah. If you want to fund our trip to France, I, please email us at <laughs> into the beniverse at gmail.com. That's not my email, but I appreciate it. I tried. I forgot for a second. It's beniverse media. Beniverse stop media. Beniverse media. Uh, beniverse stop. Even media, you don't know your own email. I don't know it. I'll be honest. But with that all said, uh, one, I'm going to learn my email this weekend. Man, I hope so. But uh, I think the idea of this film is where the film loses me, to be honest. Because I'm just like, I get what you're doing. But like, I, I don't know. That was my thing where I just instantly, right from the beginning, I'm just like, oh, he's he's making a journalism movie, but he's not going to make it like the other ones. Like he's not going to like, uh, do all these things. They're each going to be singular stories. All basically he's making a magazine come to life where you can be reading something one page and then the next page not, uh, be reading something completely different. Yeah. And I will just full on state my bias. I'm not a big anthology guy. Like straight up, like I don't tend to enjoy when movies do an anthology style and TV shows. I can, but I don't like it when it's episode to episode. It has to be kind of a season thing for me. See, I uh, I enjoy self-contained stories, especially in TV shows, movies. Uh, some I'd say less so, but mm. I still do. Um, I other anthology movies are not really coming to mind at the moment, though. But yeah. um, something like I don't know, Black Mirror, Love, Death, and Robots. I enjoy just picking the ones that I would enjoy rather than having to slog through because any TV show except for a select few I'd say has some kind of some bad episodes that you don't really want to watch of course but um with an anthology what the beauty of it is you don't have to watch the bad ones yeah you're totally right it's and I think that's less so though because you still have to sit through the whole thing I think that's the thing that's where this movie is going to end up being for me it's going to be a movie I watch segments of this movie i'm not gonna watch the whole movie i it's just not one that is going to ever be on repeat for me and let's just jump into the one that i think works the best which is the concrete masterpiece i would absolutely agree on that and this is a really interesting one because it has the material that you think could go really wrong for wes anderson oh yeah and i did read some pieces about it because and we'll just let me briefly describe what this one is about. This is uh, Benicio del Toro plays a prisoner who starts taking art classes, or he is an artist. He's in prison for is it murder? Yeah, man, it's like it's violent mur- murder. I'm pretty yeah. sure he's in there for murder, and essentially he's allowed to continue because he's an artist. He's allowed to continue taking art classes in there. And he gets one of the prison guards played by Leah Sodox, who I, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Uh, and she basically poses for him as she's his muse, essentially. And she does full nude uh, display. Uh, yeah, she's a nude model. And then uh, who's also his prison uh, prison keeper. Yeah. And Del Toro would basically like he fell in love with her and then uh, uses, you know, her essence and image to paint abstract yeah, and like I said, uh, instantly off the bat, if you've been following the Wes Anderson series we've done here, that premise already just sounds a little bit of a, a red flag. Uh oh. <laughs> and I read a few pieces on it, whereas people were accusing this film of the female gaze, which is essentially what Leia's character uh, Simone is put in. In this, giving the male gaze. Sorry, the male gaze. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, the male gaze, which is what. Uh, Simone, which is the character played by Leah's character, is basically in this film. And I can't disagree necessarily with the criticism. I did just find this, though, the most charming, and I thought their relationship was the most fleshed out. And I thought there was a sweetness to it. And I think it's largely based on the performance of Leah, who is able to give this soft yet vulnerable, yet hardened performance as this... uh, prison guard and it makes this relationship a really unique one and there's a literally a vulnerability associated with the character of course when she strips down but also just with 
that's also her kind of taking off the layers of like her guarding herself. And now she can kind of be in essence, kind of intimate with this character that she otherwise doesn't really get to be intimate with and showcase to a larger part of the world. It's a kind of, like I said, it's a very stripped down, literally unintended. Yeah. Uh, idea of basically letting your guard down. And that's what it is. Yeah. What I liked about the, um, that little story is that uh, they had an effect on each other. It mm-hmm. wasn't just, it wasn't a one-way thing, even though it was uh, pretty clear that Del Toro um, was the one giving more in the quote-unquote relationship. Uh, by the end of it, when she returns to um, take care of her kid, it's because he, uh, Del Toro opened her up and made yeah. her want to like, you know, uh, for lack of better terms, expose herself. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's like I said, it's the most developed of the characters we get in this movie. I I really like what Del Toro is doing as the character of Moses uh, Rassenthaler in this, who is the artist. I really like just, he has this kind of hardness that's not necessarily seen in an Anderson film where he just, he almost has a crazed look to him, which is just like, he's so not put together which almost goes opposite with everything we've kind of seen in Wes Anderson, not necessarily emotionally not put together. I just mean like his physical appearance. He is an unkempt man and he just looks like that, which is interesting to see that dichotomy in a Wes Anderson film because it's so striking visually based on everything else that we've seen in there. And when these two kind of get together, we see, I think the softness is his character brought out as well as her softness. And it makes for this vulnerability between the two that I think is loving uh, and strong at its core. And that's what I really liked about this. And it also just has some really good comedy throughout. I think, uh, again, another guy who just always should get credit for what he does is Tony Revolori as the younger Moses. He gets some really funny beats in this and establishes who this character is so we know what he's going into with this mm-hmm. relationship when he starts with Simone. So I think it's actually a pretty touching story overall. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it definitely, again, as far as storytelling goes, I'd say it was the best of the best of the bunch. Yeah, there is one issue that I have with this story, and that's where I, I did just kind of take a second to defend the criticisms of the male gaze, which again not even necessarily defending it, just saying that it didn't necessarily bother me. Of course, I am male, so there does play into that. The one that I will admit, and it's always that point where we talked about, is this bad or is it not? I don't know, but it made me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Tilda Swinton's character in this segment is definitely played for laughs, and she's just the one who just... This is where I... I don't know why he does it. And I had the same, I know we both had the same issue with life aquatic where there's just a character just randomly nude. Yeah. No reason. And hers is just like, she's supposed to be this like business person in this well-respected one. And in doing that scene, it kind of just, oh, she's just randomly naked for like three seconds, three seconds just on there. And all it does is, Oh, that's that's me. You're like, why is that in there? <laughs> yeah, because all I had with it was it took this character that was otherwise supposed to be a good business woman and it was just like, oh, it's all based on her looks again and her like like all that. It really just demeaned that character in a way that it just didn't need to be. It's true. Demeaned. I think the attempt was to well, for one thing, it was played for last. Yeah, it's one is played for, for last. Better or worse is played for last, but I also think it was intended to make her seem uh what was it? Um a little egotistical like something uh like a lot of there is a uh you know mm-hmm. stereotype among journalists and reviewers that they're all incredibly into themselves yeah and ben would you agree oh yeah i'm totally into myself <laughs> so i think that was very much like oh you guys wanted to you guys want to hear about that well look at me type of thing where she's trying to like you know remind you that she because in the story she's giving a lecture yeah she, it was like a reminder to the audience that she was the center of attention, mm-hmm. but it didn't quite land. That's totally the issue with it because I I feel like sometimes I come off as a prude uh, with like my ideas where it's just like, oh yeah, well this is like, it's just 
unnecessary nudity is my like kind of basically if you were to sum up my critique on that it's that my issue isn't even that it's just that like when it comes at the expense of a character's development it feels weird and this is i'd say the thing is though um you know the storytellers the journalists in this they're not really supposed to have much development outside of say the um food i can't remember his name but the guy the food guy um the food guy the last story oh oh uh jeffrey wright and all them the uh, the police commissioner yeah 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 i think uh i think you really didn't need to humanize the journalists i get it the issue though is for this particular story she's so the focal point like she's the framing device for this story so doing it, it it just felt weird. It just felt, like I said, the word I thought was demeaning, where I'm just like, I don't... One, it's just a weird joke to do. Just kind of naturally, I'm just like... And this is, again, where it's just like, people are going to listen to this, and they're going to be like, oh, he's just so, like, uh, doesn't like nudity in film. That's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying to this, though, is I think there is a case where it comes at the expense, and I also just think it's needless and to be honest, I found this bit a bit sexist, just straight up. Like, yeah. To, to further your point, I'd say, um, you know, there was purposeful nudity in the actual story that was being told. You know, the whole it was symbolic of them having to expose themselves to each other and Agreed. You know, yes. remove their barriers. With her, it really was just a joke. It really <laughs> is just a joke. A joke that didn't really land. You want to know who she actually, who the lecturer actually reminded me of? Ooh. Evelyn from uh, um, Two and a Half Men. <laughs> Charlie and uh, Alan's mom. Oh, that's a good poll. Yeah, she does kind of have that like uppityness to her. Yeah. The Here's, I think, where it hits for me, where I'm just like, that's the issue with the joke, is it's one-sided, where there's other directors who do this, but they'll like, so for instance, Shut Apatow comedies, they'll have their Perfect sex and nudity. Example. Yeah. Uh, on it for both sides but that's the key it's they always do it like if there's a nude scene in one then you're also going to have jason siegel's flaccid penis yeah. in forgetting sarah marshall yeah like, or uh it, that um scene in the proposal where ryan reynolds and sandra bullock like run into each other yeah, so that's like <laughs> completely where it's just like it's not the issue of it even being unnecessary it's that it always seems to be played on one side One side always seems to get, this is the type of joke I'm going to give to your character. And it's like, so gosh, maybe, maybe Snyder's right. Maybe I am just advocating for more penis in film. Uh, That might, because that was something we said on uh, Moonrise Kingdom. I forgot what the point was being brought up. We were talking, oh, I remember we were talking about one of Bruce Willis's films uh, and that topic got up. So maybe that is my issue. Maybe I just, maybe to, uh, for further equalization of the genders and sexes, I want more nudity in film on All right, man, you and me, let's get up, take our pants off. <laughs> We're in our 20s. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> that, that's the summation. And I think that's finally, it finally clicked where my issue is. It's that one group of people always gets that joke in Wes Anderson movies, and it's never really done the other way. Yeah. And that's where I'm just like, I that's where I feel like I lose appreciation for that joke because you if if this was an isolated incident where it's like this is the only type of joke that's seen in a Wes Anderson film of this same punchline it'd be fine the thing is it's in countless Wes Anderson films I mean of course the most obvious one is Life Aquatic where there's literally a character topless yeah, for, for uh, no apparent reason. I always thought the reason it was just to make fun of European people. <laughs> yeah, and then there's like there's one briefly in Royal Tenenbaums as well, where it's just like that's the thing. I think it's also just like it's not a clever punchline anymore. Like you know what I mean? Where I'm just yeah. watching, it, I'm just like that's the best punchline you could come up for this joke. And it's weird that a little scene like this that we've, we it's literally a two second joke, and we spent a little bit of time focusing on it arguably too much (laughs) very much arguably too much the reason i focus on it is because here's the thing at least when i watch movies i do remember the little scenes that like i find distasteful or bad like that's like the stuff where i remember where i'm just like where's my criticism of this movie 
I can think of one particular scene and I'm like, this is kind of the summation of issues I have with this. It's kind of similar. And I realized when describing this, did you ever see Kingsman two? Yeah. Do you remember the, no. there, okay. There's a scene. I did. I just, I thought the movie was pretty forgettable back then. And I still do today. I do too. There's a scene in there where they go to like a festival, like a concert. Oh, is this where he, uh, he kind of, he fingers her yeah. and like puts the tracker in it. And I found that joke so distasteful in the movie. I thought it was just overly yeah. graphic. I, yeah, it was, I don't know, it was crude. And also what made the joke worse, in my opinion, was the line, oh, finally someone who knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, it was like, all of I was like, that. kind of creepy at that point. Like, that why, was, why are spies saying things like that? And when people ask me, like, why don't you like Kingsman 2? And I think of my criticisms of the film, which I have a multitude of. I can always kind of think back at that scene. And I'm because like, Kingsman this 1 film, exists and is actually good. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this film is overly crude. Where the first film has that crudeness, this one kind of seems to make it the punching. Like, it makes it the punching bag throughout this film. And that's where my issue is. Because so a little scene like this, what I'm saying, like, is I can remember it and be like, I have an issue with how this is portrayed. And again, I totally understand people are going to be like, it's a three-second scene. It is no big deal. You are. We do not need to spend 15 yeah. minutes dissecting it. You are factually it. correct. <laughs> it's just something that bothered me, and it's kind oh, it's of just like... At, so yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. So that's my point on that scene. Uh, besides that, I like this whole chunk of the film very much and it's the part that i wish stayed a little longer because this is where the film starts going downhill for me and we're going into the next one the revisions to a manifesto with francis mcdormand and timothy chalamet i this one's where it starts getting forgettable for me where i'm just like even thinking about it i'm like okay i kind of remember what goes on like the, he's like leading this francis mcdormand is here uh, she's Lucinda, a journalist profiling the student revolutionaries based uh, on uh, Mavis uh, Gallant. I, this is where I really lose interest in the film, where I'm just like, okay, I get the point you're doing. I just don't find it interesting anymore. And yeah, I don't have much criticism of this. I think it's well acted. I think you're going to get characters like Tilda Swinton and Timothy Chalamet. Uh, performing in this film, you're going to have interesting enough characters just based on it. But again, this is where I'm just like, you're losing the specialness of a West film for me, where I'm just, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, these characters are kind of a nothing for me. And this whole story is kind of a nothing for me. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I mean, I thought the, I thought the story was again, perfectly serviceable. Yeah. <laughs> as far as anthology films go, this was one of them. And, um, yeah, I, that's kind of the best way to describe it. I think the issue is, again, this is one where the premise is actually probably the most interesting of the three. If you were to tell me there's going to be three real anthology parts of this film, one's involving a police commissioner going to dinner, one of them's involving an artist falling in love with uh, his prison guard, and the other one's about a student revolution and the journalist uh, recording that basically student revolution going on. The student revolution one sounds like it should be the most interesting of the three. Yeah, I um maybe you can just call me ignorant for this, but I wasn't sure if it was referencing an actual real life event or not. I um, I, I want to really say tell. it is. I want to say it's based. I want to say it's something related to Marxism. Some of the Marxist movements. It seemed uh, like Europe. it. It seemed like you know a college student revolution. Yeah, and um. Like I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. It's just mm. what it was. Um, but I wasn't sure if it was actually based in some actual historical event or not. But um, yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah. it genuinely does not matter. It really doesn't. And that was kind of just my issue with the film. And it was also, this one was the one where I also noticed it because we do get a little bit more, I don't want to say action necessarily, but we do get a little bit more set pieces, I feel like, involved with this one. And my whole time watching it was, I'm like, this is pretty bland looking. Like, this looks like basically a bunch of other films I've seen before. Uh, yeah, honestly, I think uh, to... Again, Ben, we, we're agreeing on this one. And the reason I'm going to agree is because I don't remember what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. I that's That was my There's thing. There's no shot reel really in particular, except for 
Timothy Chalamet getting out of the tub to go hand the manifesto to his teacher. Yeah, I wonder why we remember that scene. Because it's oh, Timothy yeah. Chalamet. Yeah, honestly, okay, if we have to if we can praise something in this story, it's definitely Timothy Chalamet's performance. Yeah, Chalamet's Chalamet Chalamet. That guy's great. That guy was great as whatever uh, his name is. His name in is is Zephyrly. Of course it is. Zephyrly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I listen. It's hard not to make Timothy Chalamet good in a movie. It's really hard to do that. And you know, uh, with that all said, like I said, I like sections of the scene. I think there's some interesting thing. I have. I think there's a good dynamic between him and Francis McDormand. Yeah, they were they were actually fun to watch. I mean, I obviously don't like the idea of them as a couple, but neither did Francis McDormand. Which, so <laughs> again, and neither did Timothy Chalamet. Oh god, this is I I don't even I'm not going to spend much time on this one. We when I took a journalism class and we talked about journalism portrayal in it, it was very journalism it sorry, it was a journalism and film class. So the whole point of it was we were watching journalists how they're depicted in film. And the one thing that you always saw of female journalists is that they were romantically involved with the person they were reporting on. And again, it, it was kind of this cheap cliche because then it just creates this broader thing where people then value female journalists as like, that's how they do to get sources and stuff like that. And it really, again, bases it on their sex and yeah. all that. And so problematic in a lot of ways. It's another case of this one. I I think I blocked out, <laughs> honestly, that that was a chunk of this story. I'm like, oh, yeah, they are romantically involved, aren't they? They were kind of romantically involved they're implied to have sex they, no they hooked up that was that's not just implied that was straight up stated yeah so but, um when it came down to the question um the the girl that timothy in the end started dating do you remember her name uh juliet that's okay, a that's normal name. Wow. I want to say that's it all the zephyrlies out there i still love you i'm just poking fun but um i mean when it was straight up asked like are you guys dating they both very much just said no yeah and he was like no i don't want to date her and he was like i and she was like i definitely don't want to date a 20 year old so yeah like i said that was just another thing where i'm just like and there's another problematic issue of this film which is just like i think that's also another issue i have of this film all my criticisms that i feel like i've had towards wes anderson this whole like 10 movies we've done it all feels like they're present in this film. I think there's a lot of characters with basically none of them getting any real development. Uh, apparently the fans agreed because no character from the French dispatch made it to the second round, which is kind of telling. I think there's a world that just kind of doesn't fully feel played in where it's just like, it's just like, Oh yeah, we're getting like Europe but it's not shot in a particularly interesting way. It's just like, it feels really limited in contrast compared to Wes Anderson's previous work where it just feels very closed in. Uh, it feels like there's undertones of comedy that I just don't feel like work. There's just too much going on and it kind of just loses focus in, on itself. And the direction is so apparent by Wes Anderson and it feels like it's so trying to be of his own style that it feels up his own ass. Essentially, it, how yeah. So yeah. that's why. I mean, again, this is the issue with just it's just a issue present in anthologies. Devel yeah. Development is a hard thing to do in thirty minutes. I mean, you can do it. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of short films and short yeah. and you know whatever that do manage to this. do it. Mm -hmm. This was not really one of them. Yeah, and the problem was putting it in an anthology. Just elevated all of my issues that Wes Anderson has already. So that was the thing where I'm just like... see those issues three times. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm just like, that really hurt me. So when we were talking the past few weeks and I poked shots at the French Dispatch, I think it's because every issue I would talk about, like, oh, I had this issue in Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, guess what? Life That's Aquatic in Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing, like, oh, I had an issue with this in Darjeeling. Guess what? It's in this film. Guess what? It's in Rushmore too. <laughs> exactly. So it's just like all these things that I had issues with forever when I was talking about it, when we've been talking about these 10 week, 10 films, they were all here and now they're all in this film. And it kind of feels like this is an encompass 
of every issue I have. I with feel like you're going to get some comment that's just going to be like, you don't understand Wes's style then. And you're like, okay, maybe I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, still didn't like it. Maybe there, are, it. there is straight up a case that I just don't like new Wes Anderson. There's straight up, like, there's filmmakers who you fall in love with and then fall out of love with and vice versa. There's filmmakers who I was not a fan of and then like second part of their career like when they hit like a little bit older a little bit more mature starting to get to their 50s you know maybe they were now uh, fathers or mothers whatever it may be they've whatever gone through more of life yeah, yeah exactly and they're working Look at us in our mid 20s just being like oh you know <laughs> we didn't make we need to ex- we need people to experience more life when we haven't experienced anything <laughs> I know but it's, it's the criticism it's a straight up criticism of I'm looking at it and like Maybe and maybe it's the case. Maybe new Wes Anderson like is not going to be for me. It could totally be that case. I hope not because I love a lot of his movies and some of them are my favorite of all time. But maybe I'm just gonna maybe it's just gonna be one of those things where I always kind of eagerly hope for a Wes Anderson film, and this is just the type of film that he's interested in telling and power to him. He tells a tells this film the way he wants to tell this film. And I really can't degrade him for that. Uh, Moving into the next segment of this film is the police commissioner one. This one has one singular thing that I am going to throw all the praise to. And that's Jeffrey Wright, who uh, Jeffrey Wright, of course, uh, who just recently starred in. uh, Oh, my gosh. He starred in the Batman. He plays Robot. Sorry, Robot Wright, a food journalist based on. James Baldwin, he's the best part of this uh, anthology segment, uh, largely because I like Jeffrey Wright, and I think he's a very charismatic lead, and I think he delivers the lines to the utmost of his abilities. And whenever you get Jeffrey Wright, you know you're, you're going to get an actor who's willing to try 100%. I, I would say the best part of this story very much was him narrating food. Yes, agreed. One hundred percent. That was the those that was the highlight. For better or worse, that was the highlight of that story. Agreed. It was one of those things where I could have watched segments of it on YouTube forever. Yeah, I'd say the story itself was lackluster. Um, honestly, uh, as much as I love animation, the animated bits in this, I know that they were supposed to be referencing the actual like art from these books, which is cool, a cool idea. Mm. But it came so out of nowhere. And went on for far too long. It almost felt like another anthology within the anthology. Yeah, like it, what came to mind was when I was watching um, Grand Budapest Hotel, and they had those little yeah. moments that are just diorama y and little animated, and they were very charming. Mm. But these animated parts just seemed like they went on for way too long. I agree. I 100% agree. I really don't have any thoughts of this last one i found this one pretty meandering and dull throughout and i think the only reason i had any form of investment was i liked robot sorry rubuck uh played by jeffrey wright out of that outside of that i really don't even have thoughts on it here's how bad it is i don't remember it i don't remember this yeah i remember character actors coming in like i like edward norton a lot getting to have edward norton pop in for like a minute totally good i don't remember exactly the role he plays in this i believe he's a kidnapper right uh yeah i, I think that's honestly i'm trying to picture it and all i'm picturing is edward norton grand budapest hotel is in this film what's the what's part what is this overall segment of this film part of the film again the he's on a talk show and then he's recounting um uh, uh kidnapping gone wrong or, or kidnapping i think so we're kind yeah, of like the fact we're either terrible reviewers or this really just wasn't memorable. I think it's the latter. Probably I, both. Because I like, even though like it, because I will admit, I did not rewatch this film. I've been way too busy this week to rewatch this film, so yeah, I rewatched I will, chunks of it. Yeah, we're recording this on Thursday. I think I watched this on like Friday or Saturday. Yeah, so. like I, it's been a little bit, but I remembered the first segment with Owen Wilson. I remembered the one with. Uh, the artists. trainers. I that remember was, again, even the fact that good... that was the most memorable one speaks volumes, especially when compared to the other ones. Which, again, I'm not changing my stance on this. I think this movie was perfectly serviceable. Would I watch it again? Maybe. I uh, 
definitely not in the near future, but I think I'm with Ben in this case where I think I would rather rewatch segments of the movie than the movie in its yeah. entirety. Yeah, because like I said, I I didn't particularly care for the Timothy Chalamet storyline either, but I remembered a good chunk of that storyline. This third one, I'm sitting here, I'm like, I remember Jeffrey Wright, I remember the food reviews, I remember he's on the talk show, I remember there's something about a kidnapping. I remember the moment where uh, Bill Murray's character comes in and like saves him from jail and pays yeah. bail. Beyond yeah. that, though, if you asked me to summarize this section, I would not be able to do it. Yeah, and the film then kind of just ends with all these characters now coming together in color. <laughs> And uh, they're mourning the death of this guy that we're supposed to mourn, but we haven't. But we spent was barely in the movie. Time with him, like if you had to, and this was the weird thing making the bracket. I was trying to figure out who's the one that got the highest ranking for this because it's like who's the most main character of this film. The argument I I made it was Arthur, played by Bill Murray in this film, because everything kind of revolves around the French Dispatch, which is his newspaper, yeah. and it's all them coming together. But it's not really his film. I don't think Arthur's a memorable character at all. It seemed more like these are three completely separate stories that Wes Anderson wanted to tell, and he had to have some through line between it. Yeah, it which felt a lot. He felt a lot less like a character and more like a plot device. Which is weird when he calls this a love letter to journalism. Because I'm watching it and I'm just like, why? Yeah, I don't get why you're calling this a love letter to journalism because we're supposed to get there and it's this final publication being released. And I think that's supposed to be where it's like kind of the gravitas of all these stories. And it's just like, there's supposed to be this weight of it where it's like, wow, we're losing this. Like we're losing a publication like this, which is supposed to then be reflective of what we're going through, where print media is dying it's straight up every year it's getting massacred it's yeah. getting smaller and smaller we don't get to have these kind of journalists that are names anymore you still get them with like the new york times i feel like is going to be an institution till we die same with probably the washington post like even like i mean the post is owned by bezos that's a pretty problematic thing we're, that's what this film's supposed to be the weight of. It's the fact that we've gone from what journalism is with all these stories to what it is now dying, literally dead in front of us in Bill Murray's case. Which I I get. I get. It's just more like... I don't care in this film. Yeah, if you were going to have... Um, again, I think anthologies work best when all of the stories are very self-contained. Because then you, you get to just kind of experience the stories as they come. But the necessity of, like, the point, making it a film necessitated some sort of, uh, you know, tying together some denouement of mm -hmm. by the end, which I, again, in the moment, I think I kind of got swept up. Mm -hmm. Honestly, by the end, when they were all uh, typing out his eulogy together, I think I felt something. I don't remember what I felt. It might have just been gas. But yeah, I didn't um, feel anything. <laughs> looking, but looking back on it, I, uh, it just, it felt hollow. It felt very hollow. I agree. I was just like, like I said, by the end, I'm like, I get this is supposed to be a reflection and it's a very like pull back the curtains. Like journalism is dying and this is an institution that we should protect. I'm a journalist. I fully agree with that statement. And yet I did not Please care. help Ben's livelihood. <laughs> yeah, and yet I'm like, I don't really care. Like that's the message because it just felt it felt so self indulgent. You know what it felt like, and I'm going to get a little bit uh, standing on a soapbox for a second. This felt like a bunch of people in Hollywood got the idea of like we're gonna save journalism and we're gonna sh make a film that's just so important and shows the importance of journalism and it's gonna remind audiences like why journalism is an important foundation. All of that. And then they make the film and it comes out and I'm just like, I'm not particularly swayed. That's what it felt like. It felt really self-indulgent where it's like, we're going to save it. Uh, Wes Anderson film being self-indulgent? Yeah. It's like, mm. it, it really felt like that was never, the style. Never would have thought. Where it's like, I, I don't know, maybe instead of like telling a story of a character like James Baldwin, maybe you could have told James Baldwin's story or maybe something like that like yeah maybe a film like spotlight which 
breaks down the uh, Boston uh, priest scandals. Like- yeah, or maybe like again, if you want us to celebrate this guy's life, you're right. Make him the focal point of the movie. Show him impacting all these young journalists' lives. I think the whole idea that um, he was kind of like their parent, giving them their first, uh, like caring for them, um, trying to get them to become better writers yeah. and live as writers is honestly beautiful idea. Really good beautiful idea. idea. In execution, it was not the best. Yeah, because there, there were characters even that were like coming in and I'm like, does, has this person like actually had a relationship with, with any like have we seen Arthur and this character interact and I'm like I'm racking my brain in, I'm the like, most, in pretty much every case except the last one no. no so I'm like why do I care that they're all coming together I mean I guess like there is a like specialness of like oh you gave me my first break but it's like I don't know maybe you could it was only the last one that he gave their first break yeah and that's <laughs> maybe the idea of this where it's just like what you were talking about right there is maybe a way to have done that is with you know where the character comes in at the end of the third anthology with Jeffrey Wright's where he bails him out of jail. Maybe Arthur is a little bit more present in the film. If you're going to try to tie it all together in a really nice bow at the end, maybe make that character more presence in the overall to give it a little bit, maybe less of an anthology piece, but one that ties together while still being an anthology. Yeah. If you want us to care, you got to make us care. Yeah, you can't and- just throw bill murray at us for the 10th time and be like yeah because that's the thing i didn't Here's care the character you're supposed to get attached to like okay we got attached to him like four different times can you you gotta work yeah i just i didn't buy any of it and that was my kind of just issue with it like there's segments of this film i like a lot of it's really forgettable and i just don't think the i think once you break down the actual message that it's trying to tell is a love letter to journalism i'm like i don't know if i buy it I really don't know if I buy it and I don't know uh, if I like this uh, depiction of journalism. And honestly, I think there was maybe a cooler way to do this film and a better way to do this film. And that's not me necessarily criticizing. He can do whatever style he wants. This is his film. This is how he wants to make it. I totally respect that. Doesn't mean I have to connect with it. And that's my biggest issue. I did not connect with the French Dispatch. Yeah, and if you, uh, any of you guys was listening out there, words, and I think I missed the word. Did I miss a word? Uh, the French Dispatch, Liberty, Kansas, Evening Sun. At all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if any of you guys, uh, um, you know, connected with the film or really liked some of the segments, I I can see why. Like it's it's still at the heart of it, it is still a Wes Anderson movie. And if you enjoy his style, you're still going to find things to like in this movie. It's just that you can find those exact same things in better movies. Yeah. Yeah. Question for you. Uh, Best scene. Probably not. Best scene in the movie. The only thing really coming to mind when you say that is Timothy Chalamet rushing out of the bathroom to hand the manifesto over. Great scene. (laughs) Great Great scene. Great Great scene. Uh, mines is probably where we're getting uh, Moses's backstory with uh, Tony Revolori. I thought the comedy worked pretty well uh, in it, and I think it just introduced that character well for my favorite part of the film. And that's really all my thoughts on the French Dispatch. Jalal, is that are you good? Uh, any final thoughts? I am solid. Uh, then, with that said, uh, let's get into before we reveal the winners of everything, let's just get into our, ready? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Great Debate. My name is Ben Friedman. With me as always is Jalal, and what we have done is we have one singular question this time. We are both going to answer this broad question, and we're going to see who has the better answer. The question being, Jalal, what genre of film do you want to see wes anderson tackle next all right so what i was thinking actually is um i would like a little return to form with rushmore and i want him to do you mentioned judd apatow i would like him to do a sort of you know teen teen comedy movie again because i honestly looking back after all watching all of these movies um back back when i first watched it i don't think i enjoyed rushmore i i liked it i didn't love it but yeah. i have gotten 
back i haven't rewatched it but i've thought about it more than i have yeah. some of the other movies and i think wes anderson could do well with like a more cynical type of teen movie something like you know less uh i'd say less american pie more breakfast clubby you know yeah that's not a bad pitch at all, and I like the idea because I, I agree Rushmore has been one that's kind of stayed on my mind, uh, largely due to the performances in that film. Uh, the w genre that I would like to see him really play in, I've always said it, I think there's a really good whodunit. Ooh, you want, I, a, you want a mystery? I really Murder think mystery. there's a great whodunit where it's, Kind of a similar premise of Knives Out, but if we actually spent more time in the house, I feel like. Not that we we spend quite a lot of time in the Knives Out house, but more in the sense that it's just like there's all these little clues in the house and it's really just a clue. It's who did it and going around and just trying to figure out and uh, with us uh, doing that. I think that's a really cool premise. I think that allows, one, it allows a few things. He likes working with a large cast. That is the ultimate way to get a large cast. A who done it? Because you need to have like ten people, four of them that you all kind of know just aren't important enough to be it. Then you get uh, so maybe those are some of the four that you get reoccurring, but they're not the huge stars. Then you get like the five who are actually big actors, and you're like any of them could do it, but it's probably down to one of these three or four. Mm -hmm. Then you always the great thing about it is you can get a detective who's the main singular focus of that. Uh, of course, in Knives Out, that's being Daniel Craig, uh, but whatever it may be. Then, you, like I said, you get to do that, and that way you have the singular focus of a main character in it, because that's one of my things I feel like French Dispatch, and even to a little degree, Isles of Dogs kind of lacks, mm. is a main protagonist that we are following and rooting for as he's kind of solving it. It gets the eccentricities, because I think a detective by nature in detective films gets to be a little bit eccentric because they're looking at all the details. Yeah. And that's been like kind of the motif of them. So I think you get that. I think you can get the large cast. I think you can get a great supporting cast around there. I think you can do a lot of the fun of one of my favorite reasons I love Royal Tenenbaums is because it exists within a home uh, where it feels like that home and that uh, place has just been built out and it feels like it's been played in and it feels like characters actually live there and get to interact with it and it just it feels like home yeah i totally see what you're saying about the big cast i mean wes anderson has done great jobs with big casts. Yeah. um i wanted him to go strip it down a little bit with a smaller cast because one thing i was thinking about rushmore is that um there are so many because of these big casts there's so many people that don't stand out whatsoever and rushmore pretty much everyone is memorable i agree i think the murder mystery allows for a cast that doesn't necessarily get to stand out mm -hmm. like and i'm i am comparing this a lot to knives out because i just re recently rewatched knives out i think the thing that works about that that's a pretty big cast of characters and the thing is like jamie lee curtis's character is arguably more of the central focus than let's say michael shannon's character in the film but the thing is they get to interact so often in the film that it's all that's doing is helping benefit those two characters mm -hmm. so while jamie lee curtis benefits from it even if I don't get a ton of development from Michael Shannon's character, which in fairness, you get a pretty good chunk of development for him that in that film, I think they it's basically a rising tide carries all ships mm. where if you get it in this, it makes sense for all these characters to be interacting. They all start accusing each other. It all just kind of, we start learning things about each character that could place them. Are they the murderer? Are they not? I think it allows for a larger cast to be developed in a meaningful way. Unlike other films where it's just like they're here for a cameo and that's it, I feel like in a murder mystery, it's like, okay, maybe they're not the focus point, but they're going to have do something line. to stand out. Yeah. yeah they're going to have one line that really benefits the whole overall story and it makes the ensemble greater. Mm. So that's why I like the idea of a murder mystery. So that's my pitch. All right. Very cool. And with that said, that is the great debate for this week. And it is time to announce the winners of the Wild Wild West. We had a great finale to it. Uh, thank you, because over, if I'm correct, I believe the total number was over 2,500 votes were placed. Whoa, wow. 2,500 votes were placed in the entire tournament from March to April. 
week by week, we got there. We had a final four that consisted of Steve Zissou, uh, Mr. Fox, Monsieur Gustav, and Max Fisher, leading to the championship round of uh, Steve Zissou and Monsieur Gustav from the Life Aquatic and from the Grand Budapest Hotel. They fought it out for two days. A lot of votes were placed. I want to say about over 500 votes alone were placed in the championship round. And we have our winner. Uh, everyone, this shouldn't be news if you've been following me, but in case you haven't, the best Wes Anderson character is... According to Reddit. <laughs> yes, according to everyone that voted. Reddit and best, Instagram out there, everybody. <laughs> the best Wes Anderson character is... Monsieur Gustav, played by Ralph Fiennes from the Grand Budapest Hotel. He won it with a bike. I want to say about 60%. Oh, of he the took vote. it. He took it. He yeah. won this definitively. I was pretty shocked. I thought that the Reddit in particular, which is a Reddit that very much favors Steve Zissou, I thought he I thought Steve was gonna win this. Uh he put up a valiant effort. Uh ultimately. Ralph Fiennes came out victorious in the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is already, we've already said, it's the most acclaimed Wes Anderson film uh, that he's made. So it shouldn't actually be a shock that he dated. Wonderful character. So, Mr. Gustav, congratulations to you. Good job. And with that said, we also have the winners for the Wild Wild West Tournament. Uh, we had a ton of brackets submitted. It took me days to grade because, of course, uh, when I did it on an, uh, when I sent it out to people via an Excel spreadsheet, it is not an easy thing to grade and that... print out correctly. So I had to spend some time organizing and getting it all ready. But let me get those sheets for you. So first, I should announce there are two winners, and one of them's a winner because of how bad they did. Coming in last place is. And Mr. David Clark, who is somebody I actually quite know and have been friends with for quite a while, he scored a total of 590 points out of, I want to say it was about 1,900 points in his final four. He did correctly choose Steve Zissou and Max Fisher getting to the final four. Uh, from there, no one else was correct. He had in his final four Herman J. Bloon, Steve Zissou, Ash Fox, and Max Fisher with his final round being Herman J. Bloom and Ash Fox, uh, with his winner being Herman J. Bloom. Hmm. That did not happen. He scored 590 points, and that was the least amount of everyone who submitted it. So for that, David, uh, I already uh, messaged you. You know what prize you're getting. You're getting a Blu-ray of a Wes Anderson film uh, along with a poster. So congratulations to you. Congratulations, David. Correct. Which, just by the way, if you didn't realize I was doing that, it's because I didn't want people intentionally tanking <laughs> to win a prize. So I was just going to let that come out organically. But our winner, scoring 1,670 oh. out of a total, I believe it was 1,900. We have a Mr. Owen Beitner who scored, again, 1,670 points. And let's just say, uh, I was pretty shocked that he got it because in his first round, he definitely had some misses. He missed a few, and I know for a fact we had someone who got basically perfect in the first round. And here's the thing. You can go perfect in the first round. If you really don't have those final four pretty well, you're not going to win the tournament. And in this case, his final four consisted of Max Fisher, Monsieur Gustav, Steve Zissou, and Royal Tenenbaum, who he had beating out Mr. Fox. Of course, Mr. Fox did end up winning that part, so he did get that wrong. But he did then have Zissou moving on and Gustav moving on with Gustav winning it all. So he got all of those points uh, accumulating in a again, total of 1670 points for this tournament. Uh, he, he had a pretty impressive Thing. Joel, I'm going to show it to you real quick. There's not a lot of misses he had. No, he not had after the line. first round. Wow. Outside the first round, the guy went pretty perfect, which was a pretty impressive thing. So to Mr. Owen, I have uh, emailed you 
and congratulations, sir, on being the winner of the Wild Wild West Tournament. And with that all said, Jalal, I want to just ask you, who did you actually have making your finals? Okay, so I had Mr. Fox. Okay. I had Max. I had Bloom. But was he on the same? Uh, like this is my, was my prediction. I don't remember what the actual bracket looked like. Okay. Uh, Bloom was in one of them. I forgot which group he was in. Doesn't matter. And yeah. I also had uh, the Scoutmaster from... <laughs> Yes, from Moonrise. From Moonrise Kingdom, yeah. Who did you have in your championship round? Oh god, I can't even remember. Um I think it was I think it was Scoutmaster and Max Fisher. Okay. Oh, no, Scoutmaster and Mr. Fox. Okay. And who do you have winning it? Mr. Fox. Understood. So you really missed. Yes, I did. And for me, I will finally reveal it. I had Royal Tenenbaum making it to the finals versus uh, Max Fisher with Royal Tenenbaum winning it all. So that was my prediction. I had, I know I believe I had Max Fisher going up against Monsieur Gustav, but I did have Max winning that round. So I was definitely off by a little bit. And then, of course, I, I just didn't get the final two right. With that all said, that is the Wild Wild West. Who is the best Wes Anderson character? It's Mr. Gustav. Uh, so According to Reddit and <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. So congratulations to you congratulations uh congratulations to owen and david for their prizes thank you all for playing around uh thank you all for voting for continuing to support this channel i got a ton of new followers and listeners based on all this thank you jalal for jumping in very last second i know branson had to step out and you jumped in literally about three days before the tournament officially started so thank you for coming in Hey, it was, this was so much fun to do, and I am always happy to jump on this podcast. Yeah, and with that said, guys, that is Ben and Brand See a Movie brings you the Wild Wild West, where we explore all things Wes Anderson. It is over, and we are just back to Ben and Brand See a Movie. It totally didn't start in February and almost end in May. <laughs> it uh, it started in March. Okay, it, it starts the same day as March Madness. I am proud of that. It did go a little bit. It went a two weeks longer than I was expecting it to due to some stuff. But with that all said, thank you so much, Ben and Brand See a Movie. We'll be back uh, to you on uh, Tuesday. Uh, Branson is not quite back just yet. We'll have more announcements on what's going on. Uh, but with me next week is a Mr. Christopher J. Harris, and we are talking the film Thunderstruck, starring Kevin Durant. Uh, maybe it's in lieu of his recent final, or sorry, first round flameout? It could be. But yeah, so we're going to be talking about a KD movie, and I hope his burner account does not go after me on Twitter. Uh, so thank you all for listening. My name is Ben Friedman. With me as always, I'm Jalal. And thank you all for playing around. Take care. Bye-bye. Good night.